be here with you and to worship with you. We just began a new series last week through the Thessalonians letters, the letters to the Thessalonians from the Apostle Paul. The title of our series is Get Ready, Get Prepared for the Return of Jesus. And through the summer, we will be um, speaking to that end, about the end times, about what does it mean, about how do we be prepared for it. Um, I think we covered it a little bit last week, but really we are in the end times. The time after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven until he comes again is the end times. And so we are right in the middle of it. We don't know when he's coming back, so he tells us to to be ready, to be prepared. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, today we want to talk about habits. What are habits? Anybody? Tell me. Give me your give me your definition of what a habit is. Uh, it's a hamburger store on Culver. What is a habit? Say it again. Biting your nails, okay, that, that is a habit, yes. <laughs> Not necessarily a good one, unless you can't afford a manicurist. <laughs> um, what, what, what is a definition of a habit? What would you say? It's something that you do automatically without thinking. Okay, something that you do automatically, kind of without thinking, yeah. Any, anything else? Repeatedly, yeah, repeatedly. Do it over and over again, right? Yeah. I looked it up on the dictionary, the Google dictionary. Here's, here's a, their definition of it, and it's pretty standard. An acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. A customary practice or use, as in daily bathing, is an American habit. I don't know if that's true anymore, but... <laughs> At, at the time, it probably was. A particular practice, custom, or usage. A dominant or regular disposition or tendency. Prevailing character or quality. She has a habit of looking at the bright side of things. Uh, here's one. An addiction, especially to narcotics. narcotics right? You've heard of kicking the habit, right? Well, we do have good habits and bad habits, right? Like biting our nails. Uh, if something is habit-forming, is that a good or a bad thing? Medical warnings sometimes say, this medicine may be habit-forming. It sounds like a bad thing to me. Uh, printed on your program or on your uh, outline is an ancient proverb The law of harvest, and we're called harvest, remember. The law of harvest is to reap more than you sow. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Mahatma Gandhi said something very similar. Your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. Your values become your destiny. In uh, 1989, Stephen Covey wrote a book 
a best-selling book entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Some of you may have read that. It sold more than 15 million copies in 38 languages worldwide and remains one of the best-selling nonfiction business books. In August 2011, Time listed Seven Habits as one of the 25 most influential business management books. Habits and understanding our habits is also important if you want to be prepared for Jesus' return. In the second chapter of the letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul describes his ministry to them, a ministry that has been challenged to its core but had not wilted. In this description, Paul includes, I believe, seven habits, mental and physical traits repeated over and over that kept him in a state of readiness, on alert, able to overcome the fiercest opposition, or the most mind-numbing, mundane, everyday, ordinary events, because we face those as well, don't we? So here, then, are his seven habits of the spiritually prepared Christian. Habit one, to boldly proclaim the gospel. Boldly proclaim the gospel. He says in verses one and two, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell We dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Paul made it a habit of boldly proclaiming the gospel wherever he went. And he and his ministry partners were bold, whether it was in the face of opposition or glad reception. Whether Paul was welcomed in a place or whether he was insulted and persecuted, he mentions Philippi, another Macedonian city visited by Paul, and there he was arrested and jailed for preaching the gospel. He says he faced strong opposition there. Now you could say, well, that's Paul's personality. He was a strong guy. He was bold. He was just that kind of person. You know, I'm not really like that. I'm kind of more reserved, and actually I am. I'm an introvert by nature. I don't like to talk to people, so... When I talk to you after service, know that it's really taking all of my being to, <laughs> to focus and concentrate and be with you. But I'm willing to do that. But notice that Paul says, with the help of our God, with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. You know, Paul was not, he did not have a martyr complex. You know, he didn't, he didn't want to walk into these difficult situations, but he knew very well what was at stake, what it, that it could mean his life. But it was with God's help that, that he and his friends dared to proclaim the gospel because they were worth the risk, the people that he was sharing with. If your life were at risk, would you be bold in proclaiming the gospel? Are you prepared? The Apostle Peter puts it this way. Let's read this together. Okay, shall we? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let's read it together. 
but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Peter says always to be, be prepared to give an answer as to why you believe in God. But do so with gentleness and respect. A couple of weeks ago at our Friday night small group, we were talking about this. And the question that was asked was, what would you say to a non-believer about what you believe in and why? And uh, Herman, Herman's answer uh, was a good one. He said uh, he would begin with his own story, how God changed his life, because most people, actually probably everybody, couldn't refute that or would have a pretty difficult time doing that. So are you prepared to tell your story as to why you believe? Are you prepared? If you're prepared, then with God's help, you can boldly proclaim the gospel to anyone who might ask you. Now notice Peter says here, to everyone who asks you, to everyone who asks you. I would say that if a person asks you, then they are sincerely curious about your faith. But if they aren't asking you, then I don't think you should feel like you have to say anything, really. Unlike the preacher who uh, stands on a box proclaiming that if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell, you know, turn or burn, I don't think God is calling us to live that way every day anyway. But I do think that God wants us to make a habit of being prepared in the event that if someone does ask, does show that spiritual curiosity, that you have a ready answer that you do have a ready answer. And who knows? Maybe you will help someone get to know Jesus. Well, the second habit that Paul talks about and says about himself is that he seeks to please God and not men. He seeks to please God and not men. In verse 3 through 5, he says this, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please man, but, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Who are you seeking to please in your life? God or people? Paul's habit, his mental disposition, was to seek to please God and not men. Now, of course, we live in a world where we must work to accomplish things by working with people. It isn't that we never are people pleasers. In fact, I'm sure you've come across someone with the disposition to not only not please others, but to just be a plain old pain in the side of everyone they come in contact with, right? It's not too fun to work with somebody like that. On the flip side, we know those people who try to please everyone. They might, and we might question their motives, right, as to why they're saying what they're doing, saying, 
maybe trying to butter you up with flattery or compliments or flowery words in some forced or unnatural way. People-pleasing is a tough job if you try to do it 24-7. It takes a lot of energy. It takes as much energy as it takes me uh, as an introvert to, to speak to people. So what's the balance? What is the balance? How do we balance between um, being a curmudgeon and being a people-pleaser? Being a God-pleaser is seeking to say and do the right thing, no matter what the circumstance and no matter what the consequence. God tests our hearts. He knows our motives. We can't hide from God. A leader that seeks to please God doesn't have the wrong motives, not fame or applause or money or approval. And even if someone says they they don't have these motives, you know, personally, if they, they say that, sooner or later, the truth will come out. You can't hide from God forever. Can, can you say that you seek to please God rather than people? What does it take to be a God-pleaser? Well, one thing that it does take is some delayed gratification. Some delayed gratification. It takes the ability to put off the immediate feedback of a pat on the back or a good job or a, you know, attaboy, good job. Um, To seek to please God means that you may not see the immediate results. But you have to know that it was the right thing to do and do it just because it was the right thing. That's perhaps one of the most difficult things for us to do in our instant ramen on-demand, instant gratification society. But it is quite possibly one of the most important habits to cultivate, to live a spiritually prepared life, waiting for Jesus' return. How do you seek to please God? Well, first, you have to know him. Not just know about God or be acquainted with God, You have to have an active relationship with him. Talking with him, listening to him, walking with him. In other words, you're not going to know how to please God unless you spend time with him. Pretty much just like you spend time with anybody else. It's not easy, but God has placed in our lives the means by which to get to know him his word, his creation, our relationships with other people, with other Christians. There are all ways that we come to know God, to hear him, to know who he is and what pleases him. The third habit that Paul describes about himself is to be gentle as a nursing mother. To be gentle as a nursing mother. He says, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. They were not looking for praise or support. 
from the Thessalonians or anyone else. In fact, Paul says that as, a, as apostles, they could have demanded support from the church or from the churches. They could have asked to be paid for their labors among the Christians, but they didn't. Instead, Paul says, they were gentle. Or the word here could also be translated childlike, innocent, tenderhearted, like a mother caring for her little children. The picture here is actually of a mother nursing her infant child. Is there any more precious picture than a mother feeding her newborn child with life-giving sustenance? Is there any more inspirational picture than that of a leader caring for his or her following, followers with compassion and with care? We see leaders today, coaches, teachers, who are tough on their followers, who come down hard on their students, who are mean and berate their players. But a coach who patiently teaches, guides, gets the best out of their students without breaking them down, who is gentle as a nursing mother, that's kind of rare these days, isn't it? There's a movie out there called, um, I think it's called Standing Tall for the Game, or does anybody know what I'm talking about? Stand Tall? When the Game Stands Tall. Thank you. Um, just watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I don't even remember the name of it. When the Game Stands Tall. It's a, based on a true story about a, a football coach up in Northern California who ran a record of 155 wins straight with no losses for 12 years in a row. Um, this coach was unlike any other coach. Uh, he played his weakest players in the toughest games. Um, he wasn't all about winning. He was about building young men. Um, if you have a chance to watch this, the movie, I would highly recommend it. Recommended to you, When the Game Stands Tall. Um, very inspirational movie to me. Um, and again, a true story and about a, a fellow believer, believer, a Christian. Um, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a leader, uh, you would do well to follow the example of this man. It is said that a preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I think that's true. And I think that as believers, we can all have that attitude of being gentle, caring, kind, like a mother caring for her little child. You see, with the apostle and with us, it's about relationship. It's about our relationships. And that's when we come to the fourth habit. Be willing to share love and life. Be willing to share love and life. Paul says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. You had become so dear to us. There's a deep feeling here that only comes from a willingness to share not only the life-giving gospel of God, but also life and love itself. In establishing the church at Thessalonica, Paul and his friends, Timothy and Silas, 
probably stayed between three to six months. They shared meals together. They were welcome in homes as guests. They worked together. They lived among the people, and they shared their lives with one another. I think today, in some places, the church has become like a business, where people come and go as they please. They shop a little here, take a little from this program, consume a message from that place, enjoy the music at another church, but do they really make it a habit of sharing life and love together? I don't think we can be spiritually prepared if our lives are scattered all over the place. Growing spiritually is not just about getting my needs fulfilled, but helping others be fulfilled as well. Taking care of the needs of the whole body, not just the parts of the body that I want to take care of. And that's expressed actually in habit number five. Be willing to go the extra mile. Be willing to go the extra mile. Paul says this, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that they did indeed work hard while they stayed with them. They didn't just take handouts, but they worked day and night, not only in ministering to them, but by supporting themselves. Essentially, they worked two jobs. They didn't want to be a financial burden on the church, so they supplemented what they received by working themselves. This was not uncommon for Paul to do. He and his companions would travel from town to town, preaching the gospel, establishing churches along the way. Sometimes they would receive support from a group. Sometimes things were a little leaner, and so they would work. In Acts 18, it says that while they were in Corinth, they met a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Not Priscilla and Jerry, (laughs) Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe I should change my name to Aquila. (laughs) Anyway, it says here that Aquila was a tent maker, and so Paul joined him because Paul himself was a tent maker as well. You see, because of his love for them, Paul was willing to go the extra mile. He was willing to work by day and minister by night. Life is hard. Life is tough. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It it can become wearisome, can't it? I, I hope that you're aware of the hard work that goes into ministry as well. I hope you see that the leaders here at Harvest are willing to go the extra mile. Not only the paid staff, but all the, po- all the volunteers who spend hours of their off time in meetings, in service to the community, in visiting the sick, in going on family missions trips, uh, in, in taking care of the spiritually weak, the vulnerable, those who need help in our community and around the world. 
When we're focused on our own needs, we only see our own, need, our own needs. But when we're focused on the bigger picture, we see things as God sees them. And we bless others. And we're blessed by them as well. The sixth habit is to live with a clear conscience. To live, live with a clear conscience. <clears throat> you are my witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. In the first chapter of Thessalonians, it says that um, the Thessalonians followed the, the example of Paul, and they were models to other people. That the Thessalonians were good copiers. They followed his example. And here it says that Paul lived a holy, blameless, and righteous life among them. They could see that. It is important for our lives to be consistent with our beliefs. You know, too many times people say there are hypocrites in the church, and that's why they don't go. And unfortunately, I have to, to agree with them. There are too many hypocrites in the church. Now, that's not to say that Christians are perfect, by any means. But when Paul says that they were holy, righteous, and blameless, he means that their action matched their words. That their actions matched their words. So, you know, if they were wrong, he was willing to say that they were wrong and ask for forgiveness. But when they were right, that they ought to be good examples. They were blameless in the sight of God and in the sight of other people. He was able to say without hesitation that he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. He walked the walk, and he talked the talk. And the evidence was the conduct of his life. The Apostle Peter put it this way, keeping a clear conscience so that people who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. These days, it seems the news is filled with stories about crooked politicians, teachers behaving, behaving badly with, with students, athletes cheating with drugs and performance enhancers, and yes, priests and pastors living duo lives. Slander and gossip is big business these days, and the church isn't immune to it. But you know, it's just as important for you and I to live before God with a clear conscience. We have to live as if Jesus is returning today. And we have to live the same way, whether or not you think someone is watching you. Because in reality, someone is watching you. God sees everything that we do. We can't escape it. Well, the final habit is to continually encourage and comfort. To continually encourage and comfort. He says in verses 11 and 12, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. As a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. It's interesting to me that a couple of verses earlier, Paul uses the picture of a mother caring for, his, for her children. 
And in this verse, he uses the picture of a father encouraging, comforting, and urging. The idea of a father and a mother providing the balance we need in our lives, we give and receive that balance from others as well. We are to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. We must encourage one another to live boldly, but we also must care for one another with love and compassion. In all these habits, there's a balance between the harder side of being a good example, being bold, living with a clear conscience, going the extra mile, and the softer side, being gentle, loving, pleasing God, not men. I love that Paul equates Christian leadership with parenting. There are many parallels, aren't there? As parents, we don't give up when the going gets tough. Sure, we may need to have breaks every now and then, but we are in it for the long haul. We are in it for the long haul. And I would say that you need to be wary of a leader who's in it for themselves, who's in it for the short-term gain, or as a stepping stone to something bigger or to something better paying. The difference between a mercenary, someone who is paid to fight, and an enlisted soldier is that the enlisted soldier isn't in it for themselves. They are in it for a higher calling. And they're willing to give their lives for that higher calling. A mercenary is only in it for the pay. In another letter to the Galatian, Paul says, in another letter to the Galatian, Paul's Galatians, Paul says this, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. In due time, whether that means we may see the fruit of our good work in this lifetime, or perhaps we won't see the fruit of our labor until the day of the Lord, until Jesus comes again, until we face him face to face. These habits are great, but they're impossible and even meaningless unless our hearts and our eyes are focused on Jesus and our relationship with him. Um, and I would, you know, I, I would say that um, you can't just pick up these seven habits uh, in one sermon. And I would love to do a, a class on this, taking one at a time, showing you practical ways of how to live this out in your, in your life. And if circumstances were different, if we had a facility that we could do adult uh, um, Bible studies or Bible classes, we might be able to do that. But we, we don't. Um, but we have to keep our focus in the right place. We have to keep our focus in the right place. To quote Stephen Covey, the author of Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, we have to begin with the end in mind. We have to have our eyes focused on, on the goal, on the end, on the finish line. Um, we will fail to develop these life-giving habits if all we see are the problems of today. If we don't keep Jesus and heaven in our sights, our lives will become a series of putting out fires left and right, 
one right after another. We'll become weary of doing good. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, and I've put it at the end of your outline notes, as sort of a midweek checkup. A midweek checkup. It's one thing to come to church on Sunday to hear one sermon and to leave forgetting what has been said even before lunch is finished. It's another to live that life in the in-between time, in the day-to-day grind. But here's what Hebrews has to say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. Uh, I want to just give you a little bit of uh, news about myself as we're closing this service. Um, I'm going to be going on sabbatical for the summertime. So uh, next Sunday will be my last Sunday before sabbatical. And I'll be gone from um, that following Monday until the end of August, and I'll be back the beginning of September. So um, just want to ask you to pray for me. Um, life has been wearying. It has been a long season of loss personally and uh, within the church as well. You know, we've seen a lot of grief in our church. And so um, it's been seven years since my last sabbatical, and we thought it would be a good time, and the leaders um, agreed that it would be a good time for me to kind of take a step back, um, get some rest, refocus, um, be, be able to refix my eyes on Jesus for a good amount of time, and hopefully come back refreshed and uh, reinvigorated. Um, I'm going to share a little bit more about that in the town hall meeting after service, so if you uh, want to stay behind, you can be part of that. Um, we did mention that the uh, refreshments, there will still be refreshments. They will be in the side room over here. So they're set up in this side room. Um, if you want to go over there, the kids will be uh, released. So you want to go um, pick up your kids again from, um, from the classrooms. But if you could come back in here, we're going to spend about half an hour talking about um, the, the building, the, the facility search process, which is uh, in full swing. Um, we're going to get a financial report, and then we're going to get a couple of pastoral reports. So uh, please feel free to come and join us and be part of that as well. But I want to close our time here uh, right now in prayer as we prepare our hearts to um, receive the, the worship through giving back to God and as we sing the last song. And as we pray for ourselves um, to be able to live out the life that God wants us to live out through these through these habits, through these seven habits. Well, let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for this morning, for the opportunity to come together to worship you. Um, to hear from you, Lord, to hear from your word, to be challenged, to be encouraged, uh, to see um, life a little bit differently to be able to look 
into the future perhaps a little bit, but to be able to live in the here and now, to know how to live out a life that is pleasing to you. So I just want to pray for every person here right now, Lord. There may be some who don't know you. Um, ask that by your spirit you would be speaking to them. There may be some who have known you for a long time but are just tired. Um, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would reinvigorate them, refresh them, give them a fresh sense and a fresh vision of who you are. And for many of us here, Lord, we are just caught up in the day-to-day living of life, of raising our families, of working, of uh, being part of society. May we see, Lord, a bigger picture. May we live a life that is um, inspiring to others, even though we may not see that, that draws others to you. We thank you and we pray all these in Jesus' name.